I must say, I'm looking forward to that event on Friday. It's uh, really, I, I guess, almost the last of our celebrations uh, relating to the, our 20th anniversary. This autumn, we've had a number of events, and uh, you know, the shindig a couple of weeks ago, I wasn't here to say how much I enjoyed it, because I was at, at um, Forest Town Church last weekend, and in Devon the week before that, but wasn't that a tremendous event? That, who went to the shindig? Wasn't that a great event? Say back to me, it was a great event, Chris. It was. It was so fantastic. I couldn't believe it. You know, I even went, even went on that bucking bronco thing down there, which I swore I would never do. But uh, I did, and I survived to tell the tale. It was just a great, a great event. And, uh, and then this weekend, as Rick has already said, we've got Springs Dance Company. They're a professional Christian dance company. I mean, top-notch. And uh, we've been wanting to get them for about two or three years. Finally managed to get them a little bit earlier in December than I'd would have, pref- would have liked, but they are booked up months, if not years, in advance. But we're so excited to have them. And then on Sunday, we have the uh, national director, John Mumford, and his wife, Ellie, coming to, to speak next Sunday, just to kind of wrap things up before we launch off, as it were, into our Christmas stuff. But it's, it's a great way, a great finale, as it were, for our 20th anniversary celebrations. Anyway, I, this morning, am going to be sharing out of the book of Ephesians, and I do have an apology to make. For those of you who came to the Vineyard Regional Day where I spoke, uh, I did use a version of this message. Uh, To be absolutely honest with you, I've been in bed all week and probably should be still, and uh, there's a certain element of my my leaning back into God and saying, God, you've got to do something this morning because I feel so off. So I'm going to be using that message, but many of you didn't come to that. Uh, So I hope it'll be fresh for you. This autumn, as with every autumn, we've been running a series called Beyond. And the idea behind our autumn teaching is that we try and help those of us who who are uh, seeking to know Christ, to get to know Him. But, But as much and perhaps even more importantly, we try and help those of us who are already followers of Jesus to go deeper. And so every one of these little talks that we've had has, has been an encouragement to, to, to go beyond that which we've already become used to or familiar with. Uh, it's been, if you like, an exhortation to take us on into the deeper things of Christ and break new ground for us. We've, we've had, for example, we began with, with a, a talk called Beyond All Expectations. Uh, and that really came out of a little report I heard about a, a new biography of, of uh, Mother Teresa. And she determined... I haven't read it myself, forgive me, this is third hand, but she determined that, uh, that, that she would love God like God had never been loved before. And that was the goal she set upon her life very early in her Christian walk. And so she determined that in everything she would, she would be the very best that she could be and do the very most that she could do in order to, to, to just demonstrate to God that he was loved by her. And I just loved that image Another thing about Mother Teresa, which, which may relate to something I say a little bit later on, is that I didn't know this, but Bill Hybels was, was talking about her at the uh, Global Leadership Summit we hosted here. And he was saying that it has only just come to light that throughout her ministry in Calcutta, and of course, if you're thinking, Mother Teresa, I've heard of her, where is she? She has this, she had, because she's dead now, but, but she had this amazing ministry in Calcutta to the poorest of the poor. She went and sought all the ones that nobody would touch, nobody would take him, nobody would embrace. And she loved those ones. That was the model of her ministry. It became and is a huge thing. But it's just come to light through her diaries 
that during the whole of that time, she experienced vast tracts, months and months of spiritual dryness. She still sought God. She still prayed. She still did her, her Catholic devotions. She, she did everything excellently, beyond all expectations. But very often she felt nothing. But she did it as an act and an offering of love. And I must say, I find that very challenging, particularly in the West here. In a culture that is so caught up in our feelings, or I don't feel like, or I don't feel this, or I can't feel that. I mean, feelings are good, don't get me wrong. I don't want loads of emails about that. But we are so feeling-orientated. And just to to minister to the poor, that grueling ministry 24-7, and do it as an act of worship, as a conscious, deliberate act of worship. And much of the time feeling that God was a million miles away. How extraordinary. So I, I started that, this whole series with this, this talk called Beyond All Expectations. And I, I, my prayer is this, that as God looks upon the face of this earth, as his eyes scan his church, when he looks upon the vineyard here in St. Albans, in this region, that he takes pleasure in us. Because he sees a people that are hungry for him. He sees a people that are willing to push through the feeling thing. I mean, it's easy to be a Christian when the sun's, the sun's shining and the birds are singing. And, and, you know, you just got a little bonus in your pocket or something. Wow, I can be the greatest Christian on God's earth on a day like that. But on a day like this morning, when I'm full of fluey cold and it's wet. And there's this brand new roof that we've got on here is leaking. I mean, it's all just like... Ugh. You know, you know the kind of day. But, but, you know, that God would look upon this place and take pleasure in it because he sees a people who are in it not for the feeling, but because of who he is. Somebody want to say amen? Amen. amen. It's great, isn't it? And so we looked at Beyond Belief. Uh, Rick spoke about, you know, works and deeds. Uh, beyond words, hearing God speak, beyond promises. That was an exciting Sunday. Roger Chisel came up and joined me, and we, we talked about going beyond the promises that our governments have made towards their, in terms of their commitment to the poor, beyond uh, duty, loving God, beyond the, the, the necessary, the minimum. You know, sometimes we can get into that kind of frame of mind. Well, I need to do a quiet time. Well, maybe if I just say the Lord's Prayer, that will do as I drive to work. You know, trying to make time in our busy schedules to actually go beyond what might be called the minimum. You know, no relationship, no real relationship can survive on the minimum. If it was just me pecking chick, uh, Fliss, my wife, on the cheek as I went out to work and a and a good night, darling, hope you had a good day, and, and maybe, maybe, just maybe, remembering our anniversary. That, our marriage wouldn't last. It has to be more than that. It has to be beyond the bare minimum. We looked at beyond charity, our, our attitude to giving, and our attitude to money, and, and, and so often it's a, how, how little can I get away with giving to God, you know? We looked at, again, beyond words, and Dennis spoke powerfully about prayer. And then last week, beyond gathering, Rick speaking, uh, Rick speaking about community and, and all of the, the, these various pillars of the faith. The only one I feel that we haven't done justice to, and I attempted to do it earlier on, was, was I, I would have, if there was more time, I'd have loved to have done another sermon on the importance of God's Word and studying His Word for ourselves, feeding ourselves. But anyway, you know, time is what it is. 
So today, I want to do this talk out of Ephesians, and I'm calling it Beyond Bars. Because one of the things that stops us from excelling or pressing on in the Christian faith is a perception, rightly or wrongly, that there are limitations either on us or that have been laid upon us. Uh, Very often, it's because we have been... uh, Uh, because of some broken relationship. It could be because we have been abused in our life, that we've been a victim of of some injustice. There can be a whole host of things where we feel that we have been mugged, M-U-G-G-E-D, saying that through my cold, mugged in some way, and it's hijacked what we would have become had this great, terrible, ghastly, disappointing event taken in our place in our life. And what we do when we assent to that, when we agree with that, when we begin to get into that mind frame, is that we begin to actually imprison ourselves. We're beginning to say, although we, of course, we wouldn't dream of saying it if I, in quite the way I'm about to express it, but we're beginning to say that, that actually God is stumped. He loves us, He likes us, He wants to be kind to us, and we love Him, and we, we, we like Him, we want to be kind to Him, and we want to break through, and and, and be together, but there's this great big obstacle in our lives which we can't get over, around, beside, under, or whatever. And we're saying that, that God is, is disempowered in some way. Well, that ain't the truth. That is a lie. If you've been a, a victim of some prolonged abuse, don't let the enemy rip you off still further by telling you that you cannot function as an excellent, and it, a Christian who can be, live beyond all expectations. Now, Paul, at this time, when he writes this, this little passage we're going to look at, excuse me, I'm going to have to cough. <coughs> Paul, at this time, is in prison. Now, if you know anything about Paul, and some of you will know a lot about him, and some of you won't know much, but if you know anything about Paul at all, you will know this, that he was, gosh, talk about an alpha-driven person. He was a church planter, a theologian. He was always restless. He was always planning his next trip. He was always going to plant these churches and that churches. And when he was off there, he was worrying about them back there. It was just, he was Mr. Activist with a capital A. And he achieved incredible things. This one man achieved extraordinary things in those early years of the church. But there came a point in his life when he was arrested. He'd been arrested many times, but this was serious. He was arrested. And, he, and he, it was going badly, but he had a little ace up his sleeve, and that was that he was a Roman citizen. And as a Roman citizen, you could appeal to Rome. Basically, that meant that you could, rather like you can appeal to the House of Lords here, if you don't think things are going well. You, you go to Rome, and Caesar considers your case. So he was then transported to Rome, and initially was held in house arrest, but there were times when he was in jail as well. Now, can you imagine being that type A personality, what that must have been like for him? It, it would have killed him. He would have been gnawing his fingernails down to the quick. It was just not what Paul did. He was physically behind bars. But actually what we see in the Word of God is that, that didn't, he found a way of breaking through. Even though he was physically restrained. He found a way of breaking through. And I'm going to you know, read to you one of my favorite passages. And some of you heard me do this before. Again, I apologize. It's just my circumstances that have driven this, me to do it this way. But I'm going to read you this first prayer of Paul for the Ephesians. 
And as I've said many times and will continue to say, if you want to learn how to pray, or if you want to sort of you know, have a little bit of a master class on what to pray, look at, one of, look at Jesus' prayers or one of the apostles, one of the early church fathers' prayers. They'll give you a framework there about the things that should be concerning you. But I want to read this prayer to you now, and I want you to catch the mood of it, bearing in mind he is in jail. Paul says, I have not, this is uh, Ephesians 1 verse 16, I think probably we may even have it come up here, I don't know, but well, anyway, I'm going to read it anyway. Chapter 1, I'm going to be beginning at verse 16. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. Paul's spirit is soaring. His spirit is soaring. It's not broken. It's not subdued. He's not catatonic, rocking back and forth in the middle of some prison cell. He's out there. And and it started with his relationship with Jesus and his concern for the local church. The church that he's founded. How will they get on without me? All he can do is pray. And instead of it being a long, anxious worry list... His prayer breaks through those bars that hold him. And he prays not only for himself, but for the church. We're going to say a bit more about this in a minute, but let me give you a little example. He talks about the power that is at work in us. And that power being the self-same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Do you see where Paul is? He's in prison. He feels confined. But what he is doing, he's remembering, he's celebrating, he's affirming the power of God at work in him that caused him to break out of death. If death could not hold Jesus, why should these bars hold Paul? His prayers will ooze out of this place. They will tug on the sleeve of God the Father in heaven. They will, they, will, they will plead with him, the king of all kings, to bless the church in Ephesus. And as he prays this, and, and it's difficult to actually really confirm this, but I get this sense that Paul, as he's thinking about Ephesus and the church there, and it was a big, big, big church, huge church. As he's thinking about them and all the various issues and stuff that he was aware of, he begins to realize that there is a way of orientating ourselves, a way of thinking, a way of perceiving reality that transcends our circumstances. Now, we've all got circumstances. If I was to sit down and have a cup of coffee with every single one of you, there would be things that we would be celebrating and things that we would be concerned and grieving over. I I look at this congregation today, I, I, I see people who've, lost family members recently bless you guys 
I see people struggling with sickness and illness. I, these are details. What's going to happen though? Is, the, is, the, is, is hopelessness going to in, imprison us? Or are we going to be a people of faith and find a way of breaking through into the real reality, the God reality? Let's just look at these three elements that, that Paul has in this prayer, which is, I'm sure, stuff he's worked out for himself in his own situation, and now he prays it for the Ephesus, of the Ephesian church, longing that they would find this breakthrough, whatever their circumstances, going beyond all expectations. The first thing he says this, verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. You know, this is a season, as many of us have said, where as followers of Jesus, we need to seek God for wisdom and insight so that we might understand the big picture of what's going on. If you turn the news on or watch Panorama or Question Time or any of these other programs, that we, you know, they will give you a take on what is happening. And if you take it all on board, I mean, you want to go and throw yourself off beachy head, you know. It doesn't look good. But that is just one take on it. That is just one take. Surely, you know, God is saying something in all of this. God is wanting to get the Western world's attention, not least the rest of the world. There are a number of things that we might pursue and press into God's presence for. We want wisdom like the men of Issachar of old who understood the times, it says, and knew what Israel should do. But there is a wisdom and an insight to be found. But Paul doesn't just say, try and understand your present circumstances, the fact that I am in jail, that you have these issues. Go beyond that, beyond, into knowing Christ better. And you know, we all need to know Christ better. Because every single one of us has a take on Jesus. You know, uh, when, uh, uh, forgive me if I use this example recently, I may repeat myself a bit because I'm a bit foggy-headed this morning, but when I had my jewelry business, we used to do a lot of business with uh, a, a bullion dealer in, in uh, Hatton Garden, excuse me, <coughs> called Brunel's, and there was a lady there, she was called Margie. And over the years, I would regularly ring Margie up, and maybe this is true of your and your circumstance, an individual that you get to know very well over the phone in a particular context. And Margie and I, we would do a bit of banter, and then we'd place the order, and we'd always sort of, there'd be a few quips and a few this, that, and the other, and how was your cousin's wedding, was it good, and all this kind of thing. You know, just general, over the years, we built up this sort of banter. Now, it happened, I had to be down in London on some business, and... I was in Hatton Garden, I thought, I'll just pop into Brunel's and say, hi, hi, Margie. And I went into Brunel's and I said, is Margie in? And they said, Who, who's asking? I said, well, my name's Chris Lane, I'm one of the partners at Lane and Shore up in Harrogate. She said, oh, okay. So they went back and Margie came out and she was absolutely, completely different to the way I imagined her. She, she, she had a lovely, soft, chocolatey voice and she still had a lovely, soft, chocolatey voice, but she was much, much older than I was. And it just threw me. And I stood there embarrassed and kind of like, you know. And it was a really surreal and weird exchange. And I sort of ended up bustling from the shop all embarrassed and blushing. It was just so weird. But you know what I mean? I had, I had a connection with Margie over the telephone. And the following week, it was just the same. But that wasn't the real Margie. I built up this picture of what Margie was like. 
But actually, when I, got, when I met her in the flesh, she was oh so different to what I imagined. Jesus is like that for you and me. You ha- if you know Jesus, uh, if you're one of those people who are in that wonderful place that, where we are a follower of Jesus, you do know him, but to a limited degree. There's always more to be found. We've seen it before, but I'm going to run, ask the guys to run a little DVD which challenges us to think of Jesus in a new light, to take our understanding of Jesus a little bit further than, than perhaps we're used to. So can we just run that, that DVD? Thank you. That's a wonderful piece, isn't it? There is a story that goes with that, which you may or may not be aware of. The, uh, that took place, that was a real recording, not the, the music which was put on the, out, on the back, but it took place at a preaching conference. And in, in, the, in this, the American South, they have these, what they call preaching conventions, and basically, it's a, day, it's a weekend of preaching. It starts on Friday night, re, right through Saturday, all through Sunday, and one preacher after another gets up and preaches. And, and this, dear ja, this dear father in Christ, he, he was getting towards the end of his ministry, and there'd all been these young bloods up there doing their stuff, and, you know, and impressing and wowing, and people were loving it. And then this guy kind of waddles up, and he looks tired, looks like me this morning. <laughs> It gets, and, he, and he suddenly started to talk about his Jesus. And, he, and the Spirit of God came on him. And that's what came out. Well, thankfully, the sound desk had the presence of mind to record it. And about a few days later, that gentleman collapsed and died. It was the last thing he ever preached. Isn't that amazing? And now that's gone round and round the world. And I'm sure we're going to be using it again and again and again. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? Now, I want to affirm you. I know that many of you know certain aspects of that Jesus. And I know certain aspects of that Jesus. I recognize my Jesus up there, but I don't know it all. And the way of going beyond, the way of, of, of pushing beyond, is to actually go before Jesus and say, Lord, I know you as the God who finds me parking places. I know you as the God who gets my kids into good schools. I know you as the God who provides when we're in a financial fix. I know you as the God, and you fill in the blanks. You know him as however you know him. Now, Lord, how would you reveal yourself to me? I'm going to shut up. I'm going to let you tell me who you are. That is a dangerous prayer. And I would encourage you, if you're serious about going beyond, to let God begin to speak to you about who he is, not who we would want him to be the next thing that Paul prays here breaking beyond going beyond bars not being limited by whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, is this and move quickly through these last two points he says this I pray also verse 18 I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints I told you a few weeks ago about my own little inheritance story, and I'm not going to repeat that. I can't remember which talk it was. You just have to listen to the series to, to, to get that one again. But, but God, God is a God who has given us a hope. And I also said two or three weeks ago, and it was something I pinched from a chap called John Altberg, that you know, hope and optimism are two completely different things. I will repeat this, and I know I'm repeating it, but it's worth repeating. You know, as you consider your circumstances, financial and otherwise, 
you may have cause for optimism. You may think, well, if I get that bonus at the end of this month and if, if we can watch our budget on the Christmas presents, well, then we should go into the new year, you know, in a, okay, you know whatever the, the things are. But there's a series of facts that you bring together which gives you a cause for some optimism. And I pray that all your plans come together. God bless you. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes one of those facts sometimes goes awry. And suddenly the whole house of cards collapses because it's all thrown out. Oh my goodness, you know, we didn't get that house. We put our offer in and and it got returned down. Oh my goodness, our life will never be the same again or whatever, you know, whatever the thing is. Optimism is a good thing. I love hanging out with optimistic, can-do, positive people. I really do. But hope is something different. Hope transcends that. Scripture says, Romans 5.5, that hope is birthed comes from good character, and character is worked out in the fires of perseverance. Perseverance produces character, character produces hope, and hope in God will not disappoint us. Now, perseverance is a bit of a dirty word in our culture. We don't want to persevere in anything. We want it now. We want it yesterday. We want it... You know, we don't want to wait. We don't want to save. We don't want to, you know, train for long. To, we, we just want the whole gig now. Why not have it all? It's become a mantra in our, in our society. Perseverance, endurance, these things do not come easily to us. Those of you who are, are fitness freaks, well, I, I envy you that. I mean, as you can see, I'm pretty fit myself, but not. But... Um, but, you know, you do know something about endurance, you know, no pain without gain, all those kind of things. But generally speaking, as a culture, we are averse to that kind of thing. We want it now, and if we don't have it now, we get pretty darned upset. But actually, God will send trials and tribulations into our lives, things that are difficult. It's not because he hates us, because he wants to toughen us up. He wants us, you know, to be, to be robust followers of Jesus, capable of standing the heat of the day, capable of being a rallying point for our friends and colleagues and family, not, not a, a little melted puddle in the middle of the floor because something wrong went wrong with our life. And so this hope that God will work in us comes at a price. It's, a, it's about becoming spiritually robust, but it's more than that also. He's addressing also the hope that is yet to come. Eternal life, heaven on earth, that time when God makes all things new. And I believe as followers of Jesus, we need to recapture some of the wonder of the fact that Christ has come to set us free from sin in order that we might know life and know eternal life. I've often said that in the 70s when Phyllis and myself first became Christians, uh, you know, this phase of our life, People were very, very tuned in to the life to come. But we don't hear much about it now. We don't say things like we did in the 70s, which was, well, you know, next uh, April I'm hoping to go and see my daughter in California. That's if the Lord doesn't come back. You know, we live in the now, even us as followers of Jesus. And yet we have a transcendent hope that actually if we hook into it and believe it and it becomes part of the warp and weft, part of our genetic code, actually fires us up and encourages us in those difficult times. The third and last thing here that Paul prays, by way of breaking out of the bars that hold us, the the things that have held him, he's found a way out. 
into a new dimension of power and prayer. And this thing he longs for the Ephesian church. The last thing he says is this. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> he says, and I pray also, verse 19, that you may understand and appreciate his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all, rule, da 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 da. He prays that we might have a fresh revelation, a fresh understanding, a deeper, a, a, a deeper uh, unveiling of the power of God that is at work in us. That's why during that little ministry time we did at the end of the worship time, I, I encourage you to make the connection between the presence of God and the power of God. You know, if my family uh, around at our house, which they frequently are, God bless them, and uh, I come home, uh, they, they sense my presence because usually the door slams and I tread on the cat or something like that. Oh, dad's back, you know. Dad's home. But, so dad is in the house, but there's an awful lot more. You know, they, they can borrow money off me. You know, they can do a whole host of things. It's not just that dad's at home. This creates all sorts of opportunities because dad's home. Dad's home. But when you sense the presence of God, you know, we've, we, we mustn't settle just for enjoying the peace and presence of God. That means that there are all sorts of possibilities. And as Jesus said to the the beggar once, the blind beggar once. I often think Jesus said, well, what do you want? I'm here. What do you want? Nothing? Okay, I'm not going to disappoint you. What do you want? What do you want? Of a living, powerful, that's my King God. What do you want? And, I, and so Paul, who's in prison, as I keep saying, is pushing beyond bars. He writes this church to the Ephesians and he says, do you know what, when you finish reading this letter, would you pass it on to the other churches? Because he realizes that unlike some of his other letters, most of his other letters, it's not, this is a church specifically for St. Albans Vineyard where this is good and that's good, but that's not so good and I really need to address this issue of theology. This is something that has general appeal. This is something that is going to go beyond Ephesus, a church at one time which was thought to be 50,000 people. And here we are into the 21st century preaching on Paul's letter to the Ephesians as indeed hundreds of thousands of pastors will be doing the worldwide over this morning. <coughs> so those three things that will take us beyond bars. First of all, knowing Christ better. Secondly, knowing and embracing and understanding and wrestling with the hope that is ours in Christ. And thirdly, the power of God that is at work in us to transform us and to work through us into the world. Let's all stand, shall we? Let's have the worship team back up. Thank you.